Good morning, City Church. I'm so happy to see that a few people remembered to set their clocks forward this morning. Happy spring first. I'm so sorry you lost an hour of sleep, but hey, it gives you one more hour to spend with God this morning, all right? So if you would stand up on your feet, we'd like to invite you to join us this morning as we worship our Lord. So put your hands together and get ready for a great day. Lord, you bring us victory.
Jesus, you're close. This morning that all of our fight would be through you, that we wouldn't fight in our own strength, God, but that we would trust and rely on you. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the beginning and the end, God, our trust this morning, Lord, is in you.
temple was torn in two from top to bottom not like a little piece of fabric it said it was nearly three feet thick that it tore from top to bottom but you know what that veil symbolized no one could go behind it but the priest no one could get in God's presence except the priest but when that veil was torn What it did is it gave you and I access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to stand in his presence, to invite him to come be with us. So whether you're big and move around a lot like I do, or whether your heart is soft and quiet with everything in you this morning, grab a hold of those words. We have the privilege of inviting God to be with us. Oh, Lord, that you would rest on us, that we would understand, Lord, the weight of what it means to be loved by you, to stand in your presence, God, that you would rest on us like the spirit in Genesis that hovered over the water.
together to, into one body, into one family through Jesus Christ. But here's what I want us to understand. Which, is, which in other ages was, made, was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit. So here's the deal. The reason why that the, and the, the Old Testament saints and the people of the Old Testament don't understand things of the kingdom of God, of the gospel, is simply because... In order to understand the gospel, you have to be born again. You have to have the Spirit of God illuminating that truth in your heart and in your life. So that's why they didn't understand it. That's why when Jesus came in, in fact, one of the, the, one of the biggest parables that Jesus was introducing when he came into the, into the earth is when he said, remember that you can't take, you know, old, old wineskins and put new wineskins on it or, and new patches on it because it'll break and all that stuff. Basically what he was saying is, guys, listen, there's a whole new change coming on. There's a whole new thing, and I know you don't understand it, and I know it doesn't make sense to you, but if you'll listen to me, I will teach you the ways of the kingdom of God. And he's still doing that for us today. Are you with me this morning? But you've got to believe it first. You've got to believe it. And when you believe it, then you'll get the mystery solved, and it'll become clear, simple, and you'll have the understanding. But here's what I want to do. I want to I pause for just a second on this journey. And I want to go back to something that the Apostle Paul said about his life and his mission. He said it here in your notes. He said this. He said, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Here's the deal. Notice the phrase dispensation of grace. Paul tells us here in the book of Ephesians that the gospel that he preached fell inside what is known as the dispensation of grace. And this is extremely important for us to understand. And I wish we had a whole lot of time, but we don't. But you'll get the gist of this. Down through history, what God's relationship to humanity, in other words, the way he related to them, his interaction with them changed six different times. Some people say seven, some people say eight. I'm going to stick with six. But it changed six different times. And the reason why it changed six different times is not because God was changing, it was because God set up uh, a dispensation, and I'll give you the definition of that in just a second, and, and mankind kept changing. So God would kind of chase them down and go, okay, well, you didn't, couldn't do it that way, let's do it this way now. And he did that six different times. And he said in each one of those times falls under what is known as a dispensation. So when we say dispensation, what is Paul talking about? In your notes, a dispensation is this. It is a system of order. A system of order. This is fascinating to me. A system of order. So basically Paul is saying that this, this system of order that I am preaching to you, that I am teaching, that, I, that I'm wanting you to believe, it falls under the dispensation of of grace. So here's what I want to do. I want to go back real quick and take you through the different six different dispensations. Are you ready? Here's the six different dispensations. In other words, the six orders that God related to humanity, not because God was changing, because he was always trying to track us down and meet us where we are, where we are in our life. We're the ones that kept moving. So the first dispensation is known as this in your notes. It is the dispensation of innocence. This is Genesis 1 through Genesis 3, the dispensation of innocence. And what this dispensation is all about, Adam and Eve are the only ones that operated under that. In other words, because sin had not entered into the world yet, into their heart and into their life, they, they were innocent before God. They were pure before God. They, he could relate to them on an innocent, pure level, Okay? He came down, he walked with them, he talked with them. He, he had intimate relationship with them because they were innocent. But then in Genesis 3, everything changed, right? The fall of man. So obviously innocence was lost and sin set in and ushered in what is known as, in your notes, the dispensation of consciousness. This is from Genesis 4 to Genesis 8. So this system was because man was no longer innocent before God, but now man knew good and evil because sin had entered in, but there was a blood sacrifice that took place in the garden. Remember when Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they hid from themselves from God. Okay, are you with me this morning? 
They hid themselves from God. They covered themselves with fig leaves because they were afraid because of the sin that was in their life. God came down and said, guys, listen, you can't do that. That ain't going to work. And he sacrificed an animal. Remember, he covered them with animal skins. Well, the animal skins that he covered them with was because of a blood sacrifice that was made. So the sin that came into their life in the, in the fall was now covered with the blood sacrifice. Are you following me? And now God says, listen, you're not innocent before me anymore, but the blood of the sacrificed animal that will cover your sin as long as you will live on your, based upon your conscience. In other words, you will make right choices in life. And as long as you make right choices in life, then you and I can have a relationship with one another. You're not innocent anymore, but just make right choices. And we know that during this dispensation, it was absolutely possible because the Bible says of Enoch that during this dispensation, which Enoch lived in, that Enoch walked with God and that Enoch pleased God. Why? Because he followed his conscience. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But that dispensation of consciousness changed, you don't have this in your notes, around Genesis 6. This is the beginning of the fall of moving out of that dispensation when it says this, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was very sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So this is beginning the transformation, the coming out of the, the, uh, the dispensation of consciousness. And what I wanted to read this to you for is because I want you to understand that you hear people from time to time, and I hope this will help you if you struggle with this, that say, uh, as Christians, that our heart is evil, and that every evil, every thought in our heart is evil continually, and they apply this principle to the kingdom of God, dispensation, grace, and that's not true. If you're a Christian, your heart is not evil. Come on now. Your heart is born again. And Jesus lives in you, and Jesus doesn't live in evil. The problem is not your heart. The problem is your flesh. Are you with me? So this is a different dispensation of people. That does not apply to our dispensation. So we have the dispensation of consciousness, but people blew it and they got away from that. So God says, oh, you know, you fell out of innocent state. You stopped following your conscience. You started making wrong. I'm going to have to make another move. I'm going to have to make another move. And then the flood came in. And God wiped out everybody on the, world, on the planet except who? Noah and his family. Remember, Noah did what? Walk by faith. Are you seeing the picture here? Let me just pause and say something just from a theological perspective this morning. Uh, we need to understand this about God throughout the whole. God has never killed anybody. Well, Pastor, how about all them people he wiped out? How about, God has never killed anybody. God is the author of life. Well, help me understand that. I'm glad you asked. God does not destroy people. God destroys sin. Come on now. And there's not an individual in the Old Testament that God does not go to, or a group of people that God does not go to and go, hey guys, turn loose of the sin. Turn loose of the sin. Because the sin is about to go off. I am about to destroy the sin. Anybody that wanted to get on Noah's boat could have got on Noah's boat. It's kind of like, you know, if, and I've used this illustration before, if Bobby was holding a, a, a hand grenade in his hand, and I told Bobby, Bobby, that hand grenade's about to go off, man. Please set it down. That hand grenade's going to blow up, Bobby. Please set it down. And Bobby's rebellious. And he's stubborn, and he's like, no, I like my hand grenade. I know we laugh at that, but sometimes it's like, no, God, I like my sin. I like this, Lord. This is fun. And God's going, it's going to go off. It's going to go off. It's going to go off. Well, in this scenario, if I'm God... And I'm telling Bobby to let go of that hand grenade, and he holds on to it, and the hand grenade goes on. Is it off? Is it my fault? No, because Bob. <laughs> because I'm telling Bobby to let go of the sin. Are you with me? 
See, God doesn't destroy people. God destroys sin. And if we don't let go of the sin that God's dealing with when it goes off, guess what? We go with it. And it's important to understand that because if you don't, you get a bad picture of God in the Old Testament. So we move out of the dispensation of consciousness because people just stopped doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And God says, okay, I got to make another move. And then he moves us to the next dispensation. And this dispensation is what's known as the dispensation of promise. This runs from Exodus, from Genesis chapter 12, which is with, begins with Abraham, and it ends in Exodus chapter 11. This is the dispensation of promise. This was God's motivational tool to say, you wouldn't follow me in the garden. You wouldn't follow your conscience. You just keep messing up everything. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a promise that there's a Savior coming. And I'm going to give it through Abraham. And if you will just believe that there is a Savior coming, then we can have a relationship with your faith through that promise. Are you following me? So the difference is, is under this dispensation with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and a couple of hundred other people through a couple of hundred years, they basically, they believed that Jesus was coming where we believe Jesus has come. Are you following me? And this was known as the dispensation of promise. So all they had to do was believe there's a Savior coming. Now, they still weren't free from sin, but the sacrifice and, and the blood covenant and all of that protected them. And this lasted for a couple of hundred years, and then they got away from that. And we know that what ended up happening historically is they, they, they went into bondage. They ended up in Egypt, uh, estranged from God because they had rejected God. They, they realized while they're in bondage in Egypt, man, we have really blown this. We have really destroyed all of this. We're going we're gonna to repent. We're going to ask God to forgive us. And God says, okay, he raises up Moses. Moses goes back, delivers the people, and then this next dispensation moves into what is known as the dispensation of the law. This dispensation runs from Exodus chapter 12 all the way through Acts chapter 1, which is the ascension of Christ back to the throne of God. Now, we know we probably as, as, as familiar with this dispensation as any other ones, and this is the dispensation that, that the Ten Commandments came in. So basically what God was saying under this dispensation is, guys, listen, here's the law. Do it. Live by it. And there's no gray area here, okay? You follow my Ten Commandments. And basically what he was saying was this, you're no longer innocent, you won't follow your conscience, you've trampled on the promise of the coming Savior, so I am fixing to just surround you by the law. And this one's a little bit different because what the law does is this, the law accuses us before God. So what the law was all about was to bring mankind to the place of, hey, I am a sinner. Because what the law does is the law convicts us of our sin. Are you following me? Okay? In fact, what it does is it actually incites and activates sin in us. For instance, if I told Stacy, Stacy, you can go to the mall, but do not go to Macy's. Guess what her desire is going to be? Go to Macy's. <laughs> That's the way it works. Right? We used to have, uh, I remember years ago, uh, back at my mom and dad's house, we used to have a little cartoon on the refrigerator, and it had a guy juggling machetes. And there was a little sign behind it that says, Thou shalt not judge, juggle machetes. See, the thing about it is, when God says, Don't do this, that actually activates a desire in us to do it. And the reason why God set the law up was to help us to realize, Man, we are wretched sinners before God. We're a mess without him. And so we have this dispensation of the law that says you have to do this in order to be right with God, which should bring us to a place of realizing there's no way we can be right with God. Are you following me? The next dispensation, I'm moving quick, is the dispensation that the Apostle Paul was talking about that we're living in right now, and that is the dispensation of grace. This runs from Acts chapter 2 all the way to Revelation chapter 3. 
Revelation chapter 3 is where the church gets uh, raptured out uh, of the earth and we go back to, to heaven and then the seven years of tribulation begins to take place on the earth. But the dispensation of grace, we're going to come back to that in just a second. And then the next dispensation, which is the last dispensation, is known as the dispensation of the reign of Christ. This is Revelation chapter 20. And there's a lot of stuff that happens between Revelation chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 20, but the reality is God's not in relationship with humanity, so it's not a set-up system for him. So Revelation chapter 20 is all about the millennial reign of Christ, where Christ is reigning on the earth. Satan is bound for a thousand years. And God is doing his best to, to get people back into relationship with him. And you can go read how all that works. And then after Revelation chapter 20, the second coming, Jesus comes twice. There's the, the rapture when he, he appears in the sky and raptured us. But the second coming is when he actually comes back with all of the believers to the earth, to the new heavens and the new earth. So it's the reign of Christ. Each one of these dispensations is in place with God trying to reach out to humanity. And because of our failures and because of our mistakes and because of not living right before God, God has to make adjustments adjustments to help us to get back in tune with him. So going back to what Paul said in verse 7, he said this, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So Paul was saying, we are living in the dispensation of grace. And it is God's effective working power. This is the dispensation that you and I are living in. And the reason why I want us to understand that, and I took the time to walk us through that, is because so many of God's people are living under the law. And we are not under the law anymore. God, I'm, are you pleased with me now? God, I did this. Are you happy with me now? God, I tithe. Do you, do you love me now? God, I'm in. That's living under the law. Grace is not about that. Because the difference between the law and grace is the law is done in our human effort and in our own ability, and you will always fall short when you do it that way. Grace has nothing to do with our effort. It has to do with God's ability in us. And this is so important for us to understand. And this is the most amazing thing that God has ever done for humanity. In fact, it says this in the... um, In the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, it says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. This is a dispensation of grace. Inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which is established on better promises. That this dispensation has better promises than all the other dispensations. This other passage in Romans, chapter 5, verse 2, says this, Through whom we also have access by faith into this grace. Here's what I want us to understand, that the dispensation of grace that we are living and operating in right now has nothing to do with your efforts. It has to do with your faith in God. And when you put your faith in God, what does it do? It activates the grace. It activates the grace. This is so important for us because everything about Christianity in this dispensation has got nothing to do with your energy, nothing to do with your ability, nothing to do with your strength. It has to do with you and I being in relationship with God, believing Him and helping Him to empower us to live for Him. This is so important because so many times in Christianity people get burned out. They get tired. I've tried this Christianity thing, but the reality is they've been trying it in their own strength. And this is so important for us to understand is that when we define grace, a lot of times you hear the word, you know, it's unmerited favor. And it is unmerited favor. But the problem with that is that's only a superficial definition of grace. Here's what grace means in the New Testament in your notes. It is God's ability in you to help you to do what you can't do in your own strength. So if you find yourself in a place where you can't do it, you're in a good place. You're a candidate for God's grace. That's what the word weakness means in the New Testament. It means inability to produce results. 
And when you find yourself in that place, because we're in the dispensation of grace that was ushered in through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, God's grace gives you the ability to live life. Now, in the New Testament, we see three different types of grace. Are you getting something this morning? There's three different types of grace that is available to us in this dispensation. First, there's this grace in your notes. There's saving grace. How many know you can't save yourself? You can't save yourself. In fact, this is why unmerited favor is such a shallow definition of grace, because God could have been up in heaven. He could have looked down and said, Hey, guys, I want you to know that I am completely in favor of you getting saved if you can just find a way to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm in favor of salvation. I want you in heaven. You just have to find a way to make it happen. How I many know we would be in a mess? But God's saving grace is not about him saying that. It's about him getting involved and making it happen. We see this passage, the saving grace, for it is by grace you've been saved. What does that mean? It means God did it all for us. He did it all for you. And all you have to do is what? Believe it. And if you believe it, what happens? The mystery gets revealed. And when the mystery gets revealed, the whole plan will begin to show up in your heart and your life. So there's saving grace. Not only is there saving grace, there's also this grace in your notes. There is serving grace. That God hasn't called you and I to do anything in our strength, in our abilities. You do it in His strength and in His ability. God will give you the ability to serve all of humanity, to serve your family, to serve your husband, to serve your wife, to serve your kids, to serve the church. He gives you the ability to do that. Look what Paul said. He said it like this, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but what? But the grace of God which is within. Can I just tell you that this dispensation of grace that Christ brought to us once we were born again, it will save you. It will give you the ability to serve other people in your own in God's strength and not in your own. In fact, I'm thoroughly convinced. In fact, I'll say this. Um, I'll say it cautiously because I believe it. I don't believe that there's anything in the new covenant called spiritual burnout. I believe spiritual burnout is because people get away from the Lord. Come on now. Are we okay today? Because if I'm in relationship with God and He's and close and He's given us grace and He's given us strength, I'm not doing it in our own strength. We're doing it in His strength. Are you following me today? It's so important for us to understand that. So there's, there's saving grace, there's serving grace, and then there's a grace that we all need to, and that's what's known as standing grace. That when you come up against the obstacles of life, there is a grace that will give you the ability to stand. There is a grace that will undergird you and fortify you and help you to stand strong. We see it here in Romans. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Here's the amazing thing about this new covenant, this new dispensation of grace that Paul is introducing to us. And that is, it's not about us. It's about Him in us and through us. And it's all based not on our works, but it's based on our relationship with Him. Because the closer your relationship with Him, the more grace you're going to have. Are you following me this morning? So we've got to move on. I hope you're getting something today. I'm going to pick back up at verse 14. Paul's told us this dispensation of grace shared with us about now as he's about to wrap up this chapter he's told us all of this and he is about to give us a prayer that he prayed for the church at ephesus that they would get this these are prayers that i've prayed for 30 some odd years constantly all day long continually i pray these prayers for you constantly as well and what's amazing about it is the prayer in chapter 3 is the prayer that God would strengthen us to do what he just told us to do. But he also but he starts this prayer over in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, 
when he just laid out all the things that we need to believe. Ready? Here's the prayer in chapter 1. I want to read it to you. Remember, he's given us all the promises. If you were here in, in the, the first ser- part of the series, we, we went through this. And here's how he wraps that up. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. So here's the prayer, and I encourage you to pray these prayers for yourself and your family as well. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding, here's these same words again, being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He ends chapter 1 with this prayer. Why? Because he just gave us of truth. He just gave us a lot of fascinating truth that he wants us to understand. So now he's going to pray that we get it. Are you following me? He's praying that our eyes would be open to the fact that we're chosen, that we're blessed, that we're forgiven, that we're redeemed. He's praying that our eyes would be open to that. And in chapter 3, verse 14, he's going to share another prayer that covers everything that he just said in that chapter. Look at this. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to do what? While ago it was for revelation and understanding. Now it is what? That you would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Why? Because it's not about our strength anymore. It's about spiritual strength on the inside called grace. That you would be in, uh, with, strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. I love this in the original language. In the original language, this passage, this part of this verse says this. That Christ would settle down and be comfortable in your life. Well, it changes the meaning, right? I pray that Christ would be able to settle down and be comfortable in your life. And that you would do what? You would be rooted and grounded in love. Why is he saying that to us? Because he's fixing to go into chapter 4. And you know what it's going to take to do chapter 4, 5, and 6? It's going to take an understanding of chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's going to take an understanding that it's God's grace and God's strength that we do this in. And it's going to take you and I being rooted in love to do whatever he, the rest of what he's going to share with us throughout the rest of this series. And then he says this, that you may be able to comprehend, again, the understanding, the revealing of the mystery with all the saints, what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, that you would know, not talk about, not sing about, not shout about, but know the love of Christ, which does what? Which passes knowledge. In other words, you can't gain it with intellect. It's not a mental thing. It's beyond that, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you would be filled with the wisdom and the knowledge and the revelation and the wisdom of God. And then he breaks God's love down into what I call God's 4D love. And I know I'm gone late, and I'm going to wrap this up here real quick, but just bear with me. He prays that we have an understanding of the 4D love of God. He says this in your notes. He says that I want you to have an understanding that God's love is wide. God's love is wide. What does that mean? It means that it covers the width of your personal life experience. That there's nothing about your life that the love of God does not cover. It is so wide. It's like taking a it's like taking a king a king comforter and throwing it on a twin bed. It just engulfs it. Says I want you to understand how wide the love of God is for you that everything about your love, his love for you, it covers everything about your life. Then he says it's this. He says God's love is long. 
What does that mean? It means that God's love stretches the entirety of your life all the way into eternity. In other words, there's no place in your life, regardless of what's going on, where you get to a place and you outrun God's love and it stays behind you. It is as long as we need it to be. It stretches the course of our entire existence. And then he says this, that God's love is deep. What does that mean? It means that that it reaches down into the depths of our heart and our life. It reaches us into the middle of desperate areas and, and depression and discouragement, despair, even into death. That it will go down into the deep caverns of your heart and in your life and bring healing to you. God's love is wide, it's long, it's deep. Not only that, it's God's love is high. What does that mean? It means it rises to the height of every area of our life. It, it's high. It, it covers, it basically he's saying, guys, this is the only way I know to say this to you, that God's love is so long, it's so wide, it's so deep, it's so high, that it covers every part of your life, and there's nothing about your life that's not contained inside the love of God. And I pray that you understand this. I pray that you're strengthened by it. I pray that it touches your life. I pray that everything about God's love, that you get filled with his love, that you get filled with his grace. That's what he's saying. God's love, it meets you right at your point of need. It, it meets the needs of our, of, of our hearts that we want to feel wanted. We want to be valued. We want to be understood. God's love is there. It drives away fear. It drives away condemnation. It drives away unworthiness. In fact, John said it like this. He said, behold, in other words, discover what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Behold the love that God has for you. It is so amazing. I'm going to wrap it up with this. Did you get something today? I hope you did. I know I threw a lot at you and it was a little different. The main thing I want you to know is that it's about God's love and it's about God's grace. It's not about you. It's not about your strength, your abilities. It's about him. And so he wraps it up because everything that he said causes us to go, how? Are you sure, Paul, it's this amazing? And he wraps it up with this thought. Sure. Why do I know that? Because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power, the grace, the love, according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The reason why, and we, and we quote that verse, but the reason why he put that at the end is like, guys, listen, I know this stuff. It's so amazing. I know that it, when you dive into it, that it boggles your mind, but I want you to know God is able to do it because that's who he is. I'll leave you with this thought and this challenge, this thought in your notes. The Christianity It's not learned behavior. It is God's grace and love empowering us to live a transforming life. It has nothing to do about our behavior or or what we can perform. That's the law. That's a different dispensation. It's about God's love and God's grace transforming our life. How? By believing it. By believing it. Here's my challenge to you. I will live from God's grace and in God's love. Make that a declaration over your life. I encourage you to pray these prayers of Ephesians chapter 1. Pray the prayer of Ephesians chapter 3. Pray them constantly. Seek God, helping, asking Him to give you an understanding of His grace and His love. Watch what happens. Don't try to understand it. Just believe it, and then the understanding will show up. Why don't you stand up with me? I'm going to close the service out this morning in prayer. I know I've gone long. But Father, thank you for ministering to every person that's here. Let your love and your grace saturate our hearts, saturate our lives. If you're here today, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
you've never accepted his love for you, you've never accepted his grace for you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, today's the day I give you my heart. I give you my life. From this moment on, you are mine and I am yours. You're my Lord and you're my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I thank you for every person that prayed that prayer for the first time. Thank you for blessing them, helping them. Thank you for everything you're doing here at City Church and in all our hearts and all our lives. And as we leave here today, Father, thank you that the blood of Jesus covers us. The blood of Jesus protects us. We are not fearful of disease or sickness. We walk in wisdom, but we put our faith in you, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap this morning? Amen.